Welcome to Saga Thing, where we're putting the sagas of the Icelanders on trial. I'm John. And I'm Andy. Uh, and so we begin the second of two episodes devoted to the saga of Halfred, the troublesome poet. Um, this time we actually meant to do the episode in two parts. Yeah, I think we're slowly starting to figure this thing out. No <laughs> pun intended. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Some of the sagas just end up needing two parts, even if we don't know that when we pick the sagas. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and some of them are going to need a lot more than two. I mean, when we get to sagas like Lakshdala or Njal or Ale, we're going to have our hands full. <laughs> to be fair, we are avoiding them right now for exactly that reason, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're we're obviously still playing around with the format of the summary sections and trying to find that balance between summary and commentary, scholarship, and, and a good peppering of nonsense. I would say right now we've been a little heavy-handed with the pepper. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so why don't we start with a little refresher in case our audience doesn't remember the summary from part one. Uh, uh, why, or why maybe would, hasn't re- Why would they it. have forgotten anything? Well, I don't assume that they live and breathe with this podcast playing all the time. Well, then we'll just have to be a little bit better at what we do. I mean, I'm not going to accept anything less than a full <laughs> commitment from my audience. Okay, okay. Have we peppered enough nonsense in now? Can we do the refresher? <laughs> sure. Go ahead. <laughs> Uh, Halford's saga begins with the story of Halford's grandfather getting burned alive. Oh, it's such an uplifting opening, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, Halford's father escapes the fire along with his foster brother, Avaldi. Eventually, Halford is born. He falls in love with Avaldi's daughter, Kolfina, but doesn't want to marry her. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's love so much as lust. Yeah, that might be fair. I mean, we're going to have to talk about that a little bit today. Uh, but anyway, after some trouble... Uh, Halford sets out to travel the world. Yeah, and like any good man, he's got to make a name for himself outside of Iceland. And he does. Uh, he travels about and earns fame as a court poet, most notably with the Christian king of Norway, Olaf Tryggvason. The two men become good friends after Halford converts, and they continue to be close for the remainder of their lives. But Halford isn't done traveling. He goes to Sweden, fights a zombie, marries a pagan. She converts. She dies. Halford travels back to Iceland with his kids. And that's where the saga really picks up. There's a, <laughs> uh, there's a lot more trouble after he visits Colfin's farm and sleeps with her, despite the fact that she's married to Gris. Uh, and in the end, Halford challenges Gris to a duel, but before the duel happens, he's visited by the ghost of Olaf. That's Olaf 1 Kenobi. Uh, sure. Sure it is. <laughs> I thought we weren't going to do those this time. Sorry. Uh, the ghost tells him not to fight. Uh, so Halford is forced to resolve the feud peacefully and then heads out to sea again. He'll eventually compose poetry for Earl Eric, who is actually the man who's responsible for Olaf's death, earn more fame, and then die at sea, still depressed over the loss of his best bro. Mm -hmm. The end. Yeah, there you have it. That's the quick version. So let's get to our judgments. Uh, Sure. Uh, In this episode, we'll evaluate Halford's saga through our usual categories. Best bloodshed, body count, nicknames, notable witticisms, outlawry, in which we'll exile one figure from Iceland and the sagas, Thingman, in which both Andy and I will choose supporters from the Saga cast to join our all-star teams. And a final rating section, which is more or less what it sounds like. Great. So let's get this Saga thing started. Best Bloodshed. All right, Best Bloodshed, what do you got? Thanks for the great intro. (laughs) I'm sorry. I, I don't know. I was expecting... This week on Best Bloodshed. That's better. I was expecting something there you go. a little more dramatic. Yeah, I'm going like to start. Sand through an hourglass. I'm going to start with uh, the very first page of the saga where we have the burning of Thorvald's house. Um, or I'm, 
not that I'm overly impressed with this one, but uh, I do hmm. think that it's cool when we start a saga off with a burning of 15, 16 people. You criticize my introduction and you start off by saying I'm not very impressed with this. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I, what I mean by that is, you know, <laughs> the burning. Allow me to give you one that I am impressed with. Hold on, though. The burning of 16 people <laughs> in and of itself is both uh, cruel, dastardly, but the way that it's delivered, you know, it's just not as uh, as sexy as some of our other examples. So you're saying that the death of 16 people mean nothing to you? No, no. Th- their deaths you're mean... You're a cold man. I, you know, I feel their deaths uh, <laughs> deep inside me. But um, uh-huh. um, uh, as far as entertainment value, I'm, I'm just not chuckling here. Speaking of feeling things deep inside you, um, <laughs> Sadi gets his buttocks chopped off. <laughs> <laughs> right. that's, that's my segue. So, um, so that's where yeah, you're so, at. Uh, Shortly after, or I guess not in the saga uh, since years and years pass, but only a couple of pages later, <laughs> um, Saki and Sati are uh, busy drinking when Otar and Avaldi uh, rush them to avenge the deaths of their fathers. And Saki's killed immediately, but Sati is attacked from, I guess, from the side, um, and his buttocks are sliced off. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this is not the only buttock amputation you're going to see in the sagas. Uh, well, I think it's the first one that we've had in the sagas that we've done. Yeah. Amputation uh, sounds uh, somewhat surgical. This seems more of an accident. Well, and, you know, it's obviously it's not necessarily where you're aiming when you're fighting somebody, but it is, you know, it's sort of silly, but it's also a obviously a debilitating injury. Yeah. Well, in this uh, case, most of the muscles that control your legs are going to be right in that haunch area. You're so technical. I think what's being uh, implied here anyway that's important is that that Saudi is not facing the men that's attacking them, which maybe means he's he's running away. Suggests something about mm-hmm. his manhood, right? The whole stabbing of the buttocks or cutting off of the buttocks mm-hmm. always implies something about an individual's manhood. Right. It's definitely, yeah, you're, you're supposed to be ashamed of having allowed yourself to be wounded in the buttocks. Yeah. Wow. So much for him. Yeah, I'm going to uh, go to a slightly more entertaining, for me anyways, uh-huh. uh, example. And this is when, um, if you remember, Halfred is sent on a, a secret mission by King Olaf Tryggvason. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of the, I think it's one of those tests that, that Olaf puts uh, Halfred to. Um, because he's sending him out to kill someone or cl- gouge the eyes out of someone that, as Olaf puts it, I've sent many men to do this and no one has mm-hmm. accomplished it. So... Could right. be just a test. I don't think, you know, it's one of those, uh. Or a way of getting rid of a troublesome poet since somebody else has managed to pull exactly. it off. Exactly. That's kind of what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyways, uh, Halford's going to be very successful at getting this done. Um, and what, what interests me is the way he goes about it and the description that, that we, we get there. Um, he's, he ends up wrestling with, with Thorleaf. He pushes him down. Um, he's a bit stronger than Thorleaf is. It says they rolled down the mound and Halford got on top. He set his heel in Thorleaf's eye. And jerked the eye out of him. And then he Oof. goes on and he also does the same thing to uh, his enemy, Kalth. Now, here's the question I have for you, John. Because I do like this uh, this particular example. And it, we don't see a whole lot of eye gouging in uh, in the sagas. Mm-hmm. What is it about his heel? It says he put his heel in Thorleaf's eye, or Thorleaf's eye and then jerked the eye out of him. Is, is he wearing high heels, stilettos, as he <laughs> does this? or <laughs> um, is it part of his costume? Well, I mean, certainly uh, hobnails are a thing. What, he's got a hobnail sticking out of his heel? Um, So, I mean, I suppose it's not outside their own possibility that he's got, like, a sharp spike on his shoe. But uh, my impression is that it's more just for leverage, that, you know, you – 
that it's very difficult to pull someone's eye out. I can't and imagine so, it's that difficult if you really put your I your would mind imagine it's it. quite difficult because I imagine that the other person is not holding still <laughs> <laughs> unless you do something like plant a heel in their face. Well, you see, yeah, that's what I, I imagine that he maybe put his heel on his neck or on his head mm-hmm. or something like that and then do the the eye jerking, but it says he put it in his puts the heel in his eye. I don't quite understand that. But I hmm. do like the the effort and I like the uh There you go. I like that whole scene and what it leads well, to. Well, it does seem that that Halford has uh, a particular talent for this because then he, of course he goes and right rips Kalf's eye out as well. Right. Uh and so just sort of back to back is able to pop an eye out of a person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so. it's impressive. All right. Uh, uh, what so, what is your next one? Um, I'm going to just throw, I don't know that this has got what it takes to be the winner because we've got a couple of good ones on the saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I just want to point out, uh, Brand assassinating, uh, Galti. Okay. Uh, Galti is Halford's brother. And as Halford and Galti, uh, leave, uh, the booth of Thorkel Scratcher at the, uh, thing, at the local thing, uh, Brand is just sort of leaning against the wall of the booth, uh, and then just sort of whips around with an axe. Uh, and, or a weapon, um, and buries it in Galti's chest as he walks out the door. And I like the audacity of that assassination, that he's sort of standing casually waiting for them to step out and then just kills them right there at the thing, sort of in full view of anybody who happens to be walking by, uh, and then escapes and, and in the end does get away with it. Yeah, he does. Well, doesn't he dress up as a woman to get out of the, uh, later? The yes, yes, yes. Right. Um, so yeah, that's uh so I think I just want to sort of point out the audacity of that assassination. It's right. not we don't see a ton of killings at things. It's a it's a difficult thing to get away with. Yeah. Yeah, it's just standing there waiting for him to come out and to strike him mm-hmm. so suddenly. Um uh, the last one that I'm going to throw out there and, and and unless you have any more this will be the last one is uh one Halfred is visiting Eric's court. So this is after King Olaf mm-hmm. has died. Um Halfred has decided that he's going to go avenge Olaf. And kill the man that was responsible for Olaf's death. He's going to sneak into Earl Eric's uh, court, and he's going to somehow get a- get away with killing him. But Olaf, of course, mm-hmm. visits and says, "Don't kill this guy. Go and compose poetry and make a name for yourself." <laughs> Good advice, right? So uh, as soon as Halfred walks into Earl Eric's uh, camp, he is recognized, and they assume that he's going to kill Eric. They seize him, mm-hmm. and well, a man is coming to put him into fetters. Um, mm-hmm. but as the fetters are brought towards him, Halfred lunges forward, grabs the fetters from the guard who's carrying them and, uh, swings the fetters over his head and smashes the guard in the face, uh, killing him instantly. It's a beautifully heroic moment in, in, uh, Halfred's life. Uh, I like this one. It's fr- straight from an action movie. It's totally unrealistic <laughs> in terms of it, it would never happen. Well, it's also... I mean, you say heroic, but the other side of that is, what about this poor guy who's just doing his job? This poor guard who's been tasked with fettering, you know, this potential hazard to his lord, well, uh, and who gets his ba- brains bashed out for his trouble. Well, he, he should know better than to wear the red shirt, shouldn't he? Right, right, exactly. Nobody should be the first guard to attack the guy who the saga's named no, after. No, but clearly. But never ends well for you. But you know what um, that sets up nicely. I like that. It, it it definitely sets up you know an exchange because that's when Thorleaf the Wise, mm-hmm. the guy who got his eye gouged out, comes in and and saves uh, Halford's life. So he kind of right, seals right. the deal that they they had done earlier. Right. Um, I'm gonna say uh, I I like several of these. Yeah. But for me, the the plucking out of the eyeballs 
um, managing to pull that off twice, um, and apparently having a technique down that involves the heel in the face, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. I mean, for me, uh, I, that's impressive. For me, it's a it's a real toss up between the buttocks and the eyeballs. I, I can't quite decide. <laughs> Should we flip a coin for it? Heads or tails? <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> no, I, I, as much as, you know, I would like, just like with the, with Thorvald's house getting burned, I would like the, the Sodi's buttocks getting comp- cut off mm-hmm. to be a little bit more dramatic in terms of the delivery mm-hmm. of how it was done. Um, so that's why I'm going to go with Thorleaf's eye getting plucked out. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a really fun, well, I shouldn't say fun because it makes us sound very violent and, <laughs> Like we're bad people. We are we are really desensitized from reading the sagas, aren't we? we a little bit, but <laughs> that's just a fun old fashioned eye gouge. <laughs> but you know, it's it's again something we don't see terribly often. Um, it's it's very well delivered and it's important to the plot. Uh, so I, I'll go with that one. A good one. I think we're gonna save uh, the giving the award to a severed buttock until we have a better scene. Yeah. We'll see this again. Yeah. So Thorleaf's eye. Better luck next time, good job, Thorleaf's eye. Body, Body count. count. All right, so this body count is fairly simple, though there's a, a minor controversy yep. that we'll have to resolve as we get through this. Yeah, just a couple of them. I think the essentials of the body count, obviously, the the big contributor is that burning right at the beginning. Right, that's 16 right off the bat, which is – Right, you know, Thorvald loses his entire household, yeah. except for, of course, the, the boys who have escaped. And, well, and of course, when uh, – yeah, when – Right after Saki burns Thorvald's house, he goes over to mm-hmm. um, uh, Halfred's grandfather's house and burns mm-hmm. that one. That's where Otter escapes. We don't get the number, unfortunately, because, you know, clearly another, like, probably 16 to 20 people get killed in that burning. But right. we don't have that confirmed. Right. right. They never, yeah, they just say that nobody else gets out except those two. Yeah. But we don't know. You know, we can't count anyone but Ingyald, who's actually named. Yeah. Um, so, and then, uh, you know, to really the rest of our body count largely comes from Halford running around the woods and killing evil woodsmen for a while. Right. And then, uh, one or two deaths toward the end of the saga, uh, uh, Halford's own brother is killed, mm-hmm. we mentioned earlier. Uh, and then one or two unnamed men are killed in the court of Eric, and that's it. Yeah. So our number. A hard number that we can go with is 20, <laughs> is 25. 25, Untimely, absolute, definite, violent, unquestionable. Deaths. Right. Uh, now, the controversy comes because I would argue that Halford himself counts. Right. And uh, I... Halford dies. Uh, he's ill at sea. Right. Uh, a wave knocks him down, and then the ship's beam hits him. Correct. Uh, and, and then he dies uh, from essentially a nautical accident. Well, the saga right. this says very clearly death. that he's, a, uh, he's in his 40s, and he's not mm-hmm. feeling well. He's very, very ill. And he's just doing his best to, you know, survive this sea voyage when that accident. I'm gonna, happens. I'm gonna stop you right there. Mm-hmm. I am in my 40s. Okay. What are you getting at? <laughs> <laughs> like you're, you're, about men in their 40s? Nothing really, but in the sagas, you know, that's, uh-huh. it's, it's something a little bit more remarkable, apparently. Yeah. I, if you're gonna argue that he died of senescence at the age no, of 42, no. I have an objection. I would never die that he argued of senescence. <laughs> you never die that he argued of senescence? I think one of us is suffering. From- <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, so that's my argument that Halford counts, and so our number should be twenty-six. Well, if you're going to include Halford's uh, pseudo untimely death, then I think you mm-hmm. need to also include Ingeborg, Halford's wife. Uh, she dies apparently suddenly when uh, you know right after she converts, kind of, and that sets you know. But Halford. we have no. But we're told nothing about how she dies that would suggest it's unnatural. 
Do young women just drop dead? Perhaps she was diabetic. <laughs> okay, but either way, our, our rules that we, we established before say that it has to be an untimely death. Now, you just want to push the, the, no, 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 the no. violent deaths, which if we want to do that, that's fine. We just need to make it clear. I think what we're talking about here is pretty straightforward. Ingebjorg, there's no information given about how she dies. There's no suggestion that it's anything but a tragedy, a natural sort of tragic event. Uh, it's certainly not unheard of. For a woman her age to die of complications from childbirth in these stories. Certainly. Um, and we know that she gives birth to a second son, uh, Halfred's son, Halfred Halfraderson, uh, shortly before she dies. But there's no suggestion that it's complications from that childbirth. Right? She there's just There's no suggestion dies. of anything. All I'm pointing out is that it's right. an untimely death. You wouldn't expect her to die. Halfred certainly didn't expect her to die. Therefore, it counts as an untimely death. Wait, so we're now, we're revising this now to mean unexpected deaths? Isn't that what untimely means? Untimely before your time. Your time being senescence as you so... Well, you know, I would make the argument that all deaths are timely in the sagas, since the fates determine who falls and when. Do they, though? Do they? (laughs) Because they're written by Christians. I don't think they think of it that way. Here's what I'll say. Um, Why don't we... Uh, suggest that we can both make ourselves happy by saying that we're either counting Halfred or Ingeborg. We put the number to 26. <laughs> <laughs> that is your compromise. Well, no, because and not worry ourselves too much about which one of us is right. I, well, I have no problem counting Halfred, <laughs> but I, th- I feel it's appropriate to count poor Ingeborg as well. So you're just leveraging Halfred in order to get me to count Ingeborg. No, I'm just using logic, my friend. Is that what you're calling? <laughs> So, uh, 26 or 27, depending on your 26, 27, uh, you folks choose. I'm going to say 26. And I'll say 27. <laughs> nicknames. All right, so nicknames. Uh, generally speaking, the way we do this is that I'll fire off uh, some nickname information at Andy. And and I will sleep uh, here and wait till it's over. No, no. <laughs> I don't know why you don't find this as fascinating as I do. I do. Um, trust me, I do. But let's uh, let's see what you make of these. We've got a oh wow. Uh, well, I'll see what I can do to wake you up. All right. Um, a few interesting ones. Uh, we have, of course, Thorvald the Discerning. I wonder how he got that name. Well, uh, I can tell you. Uh, can it comes you? from the Old Norse skilia, uh, which is actually a word with some complex connotations. Uh, in this case, it seems to mean something like keen of thought or good at understanding things in their component parts. Uh, because the, the, the basic so word, Skilia, well, essentially, but, no, you know, a mechanic of people. Uh, the root of the word Skilia also means butcher in the sense of to butcher, uh, to take a carcass apart. Hmm. So discerning may be accurate, but it's a kind of bloodless interpretation of what is a nickname that means to dismantle something. Okay. Right. He's he's good at sort of taking things apart. All right. It's also worth noting that, that he and almost every other nickname that occurs in this saga, uh, they're not terribly important characters for this saga. The nickname saga. Yeah, well, except for Halford himself. Yeah, other than Halford, that's uh, about it. And, of course, our next entry, no. Anchor Fluke. Anchor Fluke. The, uh, Anchor Fluke, the word is Akaris Fraki. Um, <laughs> Atkerosfraki, I suppose, is probably closer to the modern pronunciation. Uh, And that's definitely going on my list of great Old Norse words. It's just a fun word to say. It's fun to look at. Even in English. Anchor fluke in English is pretty good, too. It is also fun to say. It'd be a good name for uh, Uh, for a fish. And and that's actually where fluke comes from. Uh, 
This is the broad, flat part of an anchor, the part that drags on the seabed and catches on things. So it, it's the part that looks like the fluke of a whale's tail. Mm. Um, uh, some scholars actually argue that the, uh, the, that the writer, the saga writer, is making a mistake here, that he's mistaken a reference to an anchor fluke for the figure. Yeah. But in the, but in the, the there's no text reason to that suggest I read, that. And, uh, you know, Halford mm-hmm. says, who are you? And the guy says, I am anchor fluke. So I don't right. know. Right. There's not a lot of room for error there. But again, it's very you know, hard to sort of accidentally have the person identify themselves as an anchor right. fluke. Although, I mean, if we were really doing our due diligence, we'd look at the various manuscripts of this particular saga in the original and make a call from there. So instead, I'm just going to cast a vote of support for the saga writer. Sure. Uh, because that's easier. Or the Saga Translator in this case. Well. Yeah. Um, we have Mar the Sacrificer. Right. Although that's, to be fair, that's not really his nickname. That's just a name that, uh, uh, Halford gives him. Well, certainly. Um, but of course that's how nicknames get started. Right? Sure. Um, I don't know if it carries. Though. And he, and he calls him the Sacrificer in, uh, uh, a verse, which of course is one of the ways that you immortalize uh, popularize that a nickname. Yeah. And so it's kind of a straightforward nickname, but it's interesting to note its role, I think, in this poem. Uh, because it kind of serves as a marker separating those who follow the old religion yeah. from adherence to the new Christian faith. Nicely done, John. I um, like that. Well, because this is, this saga, um, remember, this saga, like Eric the Red's saga, takes place right at the cusp of the conversion of Iceland, mm-hmm. right? It's taking place in the reign of Olaf, which is only a five-year reign. So calling Mar a sacrificer puts him in the same category as someone like Thorhall the Hunter from Eric the Red's right. saga. Right, who's a kind of odious personality and whose failure to adopt the Christian faith makes him increasingly an untenable and unstable member of the community. Right. All right. So who's next? Uh, Thorkel the Scratcher. Oh, I love this guy. Uh, I know you do. Uh, this is from the Old Norse Krafla, uh, which means scrabbler. So, uh, means to paw feebly with one's hands. Mm-hmm. Uh, the word has two uses. Uh, first, it describes a kind of feeble clawing motion like that of a kitten or a baby. And second, uh, it's actually a nickname uh, in Old Norse for babies in general. Mm. Yeah, because they're uh, always like, pawing at like things. Like right? we would call it the little rug rat or something. Right. Um, and Andy, you pointed out to me before we started mm-hmm. that um, that connection works in an interesting way for Thorkel. Yeah, it does. Um, Thorkel, there's a whole story about where his nickname comes from. And it's told in Vatnsdala Saga, which is mm-hmm. lately anyways one of my favorite sagas. Um, so the story goes basically like this. Uh, Thorkel Scratcher is the illegitimate child of a man named Thorgrim of Karnsa and, and his mistress, actually. So as you can imagine, Thorgrim's wife wasn't terribly happy when the mistress gave birth to this baby boy. This is Thorkel, of course. So, um, mm-hmm. Thorgrim's wife forces Thorgrim to leave the child out to die, which he does. So we have the exposure of a child here in this, uh, Vatnsdala mm-hmm. saga. Now, Thorgrim's kinsmen, Thorir and Thorstein, who are some of the main characters of Vatnsdala Saga, they find out about this, and they call it a wicked deed. And together, they set out to find the baby. When they come upon this baby, uh, they find that his face was covered with a cloth, and he was quite near death. Mm. So according to the story, little Thorkel's hopelessly scratching at the cloth, unable to move it himself. And Thorir then takes the baby home and raises him. Huh. And that's Thorkel's story. That's where he gets his nickname from, from scratching at this little cloth um, that was meant to cover his face while he was being exposed to the elements. Wow. What's interesting about that is that because of this, then, the link of this also being sort of a generic nickname for babies, it kind of means that Thorkel is sort of stuck with being called, you know, little baby his entire life. Yeah. Well, and it also reminds everyone that he never really escapes that that moment of being exposed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. 
Um, but he, huh. it, it does have a happy ending, though. He becomes the, uh, the Gothi of Vatensdal eventually. He's, mm-hmm. uh, quite a good guy. And, um, interestingly enough, Thorir, the guy who raised him, he used to be a berserker. Mm-hmm. Um, but he didn't like being a berserker. He told his brother, Thorstein, <laughs> that, uh, right before they went and found the baby, actually, he said, uh, you know, I always become a berserker, uh, at the most inopportune times. It's very, very frustrating, and I wish, it didn't happen to I me. I think I'd rather settle down and have a sitcom plot by finding a little baby in the woods and then raising him myself. <laughs> the berserker and the baby. <laughs> coming <laughs> coming this fall. Well, happily, uh, happily, after he finds the baby, um, he never has a berserker fit uh, again. Well, good there good you go. for Thor. A good deed. A happy ending for all. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, so we've got a couple of others just to run through quickly. Uh-huh. Uh, Thorleaf the Wise, uh, Avar the Old... Uh, Hawken the Powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I'm going to throw in Bjorn the Redbeard. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Uh, uh, he's never actually called the Redbeard. Uh, just said he but has a Redbeard. It's beard. worth noting. It's a descriptor. He's described as the Redbeard. He's described as a Redbearded man. Sure. So that's not technically a nickname, but I have to get my beard reference in for each saga. Yeah. Well, you, uh, there's, another, also, there's another beard reference for you. Uh, Avaldi mm-hmm. doesn't have a nickname in this saga. But if you mm-hmm. read Vatnsdala Saga, yes. he is known as Skag of Aldi or Beard of Aldi. Yes, I was going to bring this up because, in fact, the reference to Bjorn's red beard is the only time a beard is mentioned in this saga. Mm. I did a word search. I didn't read the entire thing looking for the word beard. But there's no other reference to anyone's beard. Uh, so you'd think it's just unremarkable facial hair all around. But, yeah, but then in another saga, Avaldi is Skag of Aldi, yeah. which is just odd that you'd think that would have come up here. So, of course, this wouldn't be complete without mentioning Halford, the troublesome poet. Uh, Halford is, uh, well-named, obviously. I mean, he's an extremely difficult figure. Uh, but he gives that same nickname to his son, Halford Halfriderson, who also becomes known as Halford, the troublesome poet. Right. Uh, and so we end up with, uh, this extension of Halford's life through his son, who carries the same name, the same nickname, uh, goes into the same profession. And so we end up with um, a situation where some scholars think this is actually an accident, right? That the the writer is somehow um, making a textual error in which Halford's son is Halford himself, just in a different form. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? Crazy. What do you mean? This Nothing. Is, whatever. Go read the notes for the saga, man. Uh, they discuss this possibility. Okay. Um, but the, the thing that's interesting to me about <laughs> Halford's na- nickname is is clearly nothing. <laughs> is is what is what does it mean by troublesome? Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, but I'll talk about that when we get to thing, man. So, John, after all of that, <laughs> I, I'm going to say that I'm not impressed once again, with any of the nicknames, really, except for maybe... Really? I, got, I think there's a couple of good Halfred, Troublesome Poet. That one's cool. And maybe Anchor Fluke. But outside of that... Oh, you didn't mention Thorkel Beak. I assume he's got a big nose. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can't cover every single person. Well, but, I mean... Uh, do you want to make a case for him? Uh, I think he has a big nose. Like I said, there that's you go. about it. Well done. Did he win? Um, personally, I'm going to call... I'm going to say I like Anchor Fluke. Anchor Fluke. I think that's too. a... It's an interesting nickname. I think it's interesting to note that uh, apparently this is what Olaf Tryggvason does with his spare time. It's sort of his hobby as king is to wander around <laughs> in the bay well, he might have saving been. incompetent sailors as they flounder uh, 
the water. As king of Norway, it's not uncommon for him to probably be on sailing trips, moving around, doing things. But to be doing so under the guise of a man named Ankerfluke? Anyway, I, 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 I like Ankerfluke as well. Um, it's not really a nickname in terms of uh, he's not called that by other people or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So with that caveat, I would say we can choose him. Otherwise, it should be Thorkel Scratcher. All right. I mean, I like Anchor Fluke a lot, but I can see the argument against it. Mm-hmm. Um, Thorkel Scratcher is fine with me. Oh, really? Uh, it's an interesting name. He's got a lot going on. Did um, I just win one? You know, it's a, it's a complicated name. It's, I like it. I feel very honored, huh? There you go. You usually just push right past me. Do whatever you oh, want to do. Oh, now. Listen to you. <laughs> Notable, Notable witticisms. witticisms. All right, notable witticisms. Uh, what does this saga writer have to tell us that we find entertaining, clever, or quick-witted? Yeah. Well, you know, John, when so far we've been doing the, the, you know, I guess we've done two poet sagas, and I would have mm-hmm. thought that they'd be much wittier than they are. But we have yeah. trouble finding notable witticisms in Gunlaug saga outside of the poems, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think the same is true here. I've got two non-poetic ones. What did, what did you come up with? I've got two poetic ones. Oh, well, um, this is going to balance think, itself I think out the nicely. problem that we're running... Well, I think the problem that we're running into, though, is that the poetry, you know, uh, saga verses are often so complex right. uh, and so difficult to translate. They're famously difficult to translate yeah. that um, very often the wittiness of them requires kind of careful reflection. Absolutely. Well, I mean, they use uh, so really many lend itself, and you need to know so much yeah. about Norse mythology in exactly. order to understand. And even the the most devoted student of Norse mythology is going to have trouble with some of the, the references that come in. The other thing that complicates mm-hmm. these poems – Mm-hmm. A lot of times the, the skaldic poetry uh, or the skaldic poet will interrupt a line in order to yes. comment on something else. And then you get the, the mm-hmm. tail end of the actual sentence after another right. sentence has occurred. It's very confusing um, in yeah. English anyway. So it does require sort of careful reflection. And so the, the sort of casual fly-by-night way in which we approach these sagas <laughs> doesn't really lend itself to um, full appreciation of the poetry. No, it doesn't. Uh, but we'll do what we can. We'll do what so we what can. do you got to start well, with? Well, I'm going to start the same thing. You know, every other section seems to have started with the burning of Thorvald's house. Um, <laughs> You're a man obsessed. Well, it, it, while the burning itself might not be all that um, exciting, I do like the little exchange that uh, – it's a very matter-of-fact exchange. And I don't know if it, you'd count, count mm-hmm. it as witty, more as a, a, just a dry exchange between uh, Sulky the Viking and Thorvald. Um, the, basically, the way it goes is this. Thorvald comes to the door of his house that is now burning and says something to the effect of, uh, what have I done to deserve this? I don't remember offending you at any time in the past. Sulky says, we Vikings don't work like that. We're after your life and goods. To which Thorvald, again, very dryly replies. Is that, is that your Viking app voice? Oh, we, do, we Vikings don't work like that. We're after your life and your goods. Oh, that's is that better? That's much worse. Oh, okay. That's much, much worse. Go back to the first one. So Thorvald very dryly replies, "Well, they're in your power for now." It's <laughs> it's a, it's a it's like a dry white wine, right? It, but it, it it's a hell of a thing to say as your house is burning mm-hmm. down around you. Uh, but I like the for now as well. Yeah, right? for now. Although it, it clearly for for always. Right. I I do have I do have relatives out there someplace. Yes, exactly. All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna try to bring some poetry into this All because right. why not? Hopefully it's funny. Uh, Hopefully it's witty. Well, we have a couple. Of, these are actually both are from uh, uh, the night that is spent or that Halford spends with Kolfina, uh after he returns to Iceland. Right. Which, uh, which he, and he spends part of his time uh, composing insulting verses about Greece. Although he says to her well, something like, uh, "I hear you've been composing poetry about Greece." 
That's right. That's absolutely right. Yes, he he frames it as yes. I I heard that you've become quite the poet and you've been insulting <laughs> right. your husband. And she says, "Oh, really? Uh, what what kind of things have I been saying?" Right. <laughs> Tell me what kind of verse making this is that's credited to me. <laughs> and so uh, uh, Halford's response is, "There streams from Greece onto the bright slope of arms ice. Hlyn suffers anguish beside him, hot sweat most rank, and gloomily." The Ron of Aderdown droops beside him. The bright lady's nature, I praise, like a swan swimming. <laughs> now, there's the problem yeah. with reading this poetry as a, a witticism. You want to try to unpack uh, that? The implication here is that Gris is so sweaty in bed uh, that Colfina, who here is compared to a goddess, uh, has to lower herself into the bed like a swan swimming mm-hmm. in the sort of rank runoff of his sweat. Right. So it's a good line, but you know these the poetry often makes it quite difficult to appreciate. Yeah, it's very uh, very. I'm going to try again. Very disgusting imagery, mm-hmm. though. When you when you unpack it, it is, and it what is it grotesque, means. right? Um, and he tries again. This is after uh, Colfina has said, "No, that's that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say that about him. That was you, and you really shouldn't do that." And Halford's response, of course, is to create another verse. Scarcely will the white fellow stride, helmet slicing, by the pantry. He will go without the air of coins, nor the grey dog strut, though the scythe shover, unlovely, has a wide milking shed. The sword plains keeper enjoys his livestock and a long sheep pen. Yeah, that's a great one. There's at least three, possibly four accusations of bestiality (laughs) in an eight-line poem. Right. Uh, He really, I mean, this is one of those uh, poems that is, is, it's a killing insult. Right. I mean, this is... Uh, Gris would be justified in tracking down Halford and killing him oh, absolutely. because of this verse. Absolutely. And, you know, this, he says this one right after Colfina says to him, Hey, uh, why right, don't you stop, stop making that. poetry like that? Gris is actually a nice guy. And, uh, Halford immediately accuses Gris of having sex with animals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's worth noting that so many times in these, uh, poet sagas, you run into this problem where the, the woman who the, the poet loves, eventually becomes really frustrated with them mm-hmm. right, and sort of becomes disgusted with their behavior. And you can kind of see Colfina, even though she remains in love with Alfred, uh, really kind of, you know, getting sick of his nonsense. Well, she's certainly point. not like uh, going to be pining over his coat and and dying. Right. No, absolutely. As she thinks absolutely. about their love. Uh, she, in right. fact, rejects the cloak that he offers her. Which may be right, maybe yeah. a, a nod towards Gunlog and say this is the difference between, you know, these two relationships. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. And yet I like uh, uh, Halfred much better than Gunlog. So is that it? We have to uh, choose our winner now? Uh, no, there's one more that I have. Oh. Um, and this, uh, okay. I'm going right back to the violence and the the eyeball. Mm-hmm. So if you remember, uh, Halfred was asked to go and take both of Thorleaf's eyes, but he doesn't do that. Mm-hmm. He only takes one. Um, we talked about that in Best Bloodshed. He then, on his way home, stops by Kalf's house. Mm-hmm. Kalf is the guy who uh, kind of shamed Halfred in front of King Olaf Trygfusson, tried to get Halfred executed, and so on and so forth. Um, right. Although, in fairness, um, Halfred did kill uh, Kalf's brother. Well, that was only after all the shame and everything like that. So, Halfred <laughs> still enough, has a enough. grudge against Kalf, and he's gone and, and plucked yeah. out one of Kalf's eyes on the way home from plucking out Thorleaf's one uh-huh. eye. So, now he has two eyes to show uh, King right. Olaf. Um, when he gets back, Olaf asks him to show the eye that he's, the eyes that he's collected. And Halford begins by showing just Kalf's eye, which Olaf recognizes is not the right color, not mm-hmm. the right eyeball that he was looking for. 
So uh, Halfred shows him the other eye, and eventually the king says, will you go and take out Thorleaf's other eye? Halfred's reply is, I'm not willing to go there, but I will go to Kalf and put out his other eye, which is a really, a really ballsy move. Standing right, so if you want, if you want a match set, I know where to get you one. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Standing in front of King Olaf, your, uh, oh, your godfather, dear. and telling him you'll pluck out the eye of his supporter. I like that one. You think that one's, you, you like that one? Um, you know, if for me, it's between that one and the, the livestock. You know, I enjoy uh, a good bestiality accusation. Yeah, me too. As much as the next man. And for, for, uh, uh, on those grounds alone, I think it's gotta be the winner. You know, and it would be a shame if, you know, we didn't have at least one of these poet sagas win for its poetry. Right, right. We, we skipped uh, right through so what the we, poetry. <laughs> why don't we go ahead and give it to the bestiality accusations? Yes. Poor uh, Greece. And, and maybe we'll put up the, uh, that verse on our site so that everyone can contemplate it and ruminate on it <laughs> at their leisure. All right. Uh, <laughs> Sounds good. Outlawry. So here we are in Outlawry. I was very happy uh, in our last episode when we got to outlaw Gunlog and Kraven. That was that was fun to me. Um, I don't feel yeah, I like think we... you thought you were boxing me in on Thingmen with that. No, 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 not at all. I just kind of wanted to outlaw those guys because they bug me. Uh-huh. <laughs> They're so irresponsible. Uh, but I don't feel the same way about Halford at all. I don't think he needs to be mm-hmm. outlawed. He's he's a. Oh, decent... I think we can make a case, but I'll I'll look at. I'm lie. sure you Go can on. make a case, but I don't think we're gonna do that. Um, mm-hmm. The the only the, the first one that jumps to mind is is Saki. I mean, we can't forget about him. You've you've begun every section of the judgments with him. He's quite so memorable. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> he's quite memorable. <laughs> uh, he does. He's dead by page three. <laughs> I know, but he's the only one that does like truly terrible things. All right. He arrives at oh, these houses. Okay. He Carry burns on, them. Carry takes their stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, he might not have a major role in the saga, but he he does set all the stuff in motion, and he does mm-hmm. the worst of anyone. In all of the, and probably in most of the sagas we've read, he's he's up there as one of the the great he's villains. Certainly, I mean, he's he's somewhat one dimensional as a villain, isn't he? Though, I mean, this this sort of mustache twirling moment when he says like, "Ah ha 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 ha, we Vikings just enjoy killing." Yeah, that's ah, true. Ha, 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 is just you know, he's almost a bit of a cardboard cutout. I mean, he's not really an interesting figure, right? Which maybe you know, maybe that says the 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 author is taking uh, liberties with his image of Vikings. Mm-hmm. It's quite insulting to actual Vikings, perhaps. I mean, King, King, gonna, Olaf, King Olaf himself was a Viking mm-hmm. for, for quite a while, so... Yeah, well, you, you know, know, as are many of the figures we talk about in here. Uh, yeah, uh, the problem yeah. I have with outlawing Saki, and I don't disagree that he's he's done things that are worthy of outlawry, mm-hmm. um, he himself is not Icelandic, and he never he never actually attacks Iceland or any Icelanders. That's true. Uh, thinking about this from the perspective of the family sagas, what mm-hmm. Icelandic laws has he violated? None really. He's not. He's never even been to Iceland, as far as we know. Uh, I mean, admittedly, you know, with the sagas, we we can play fast and loose with this. But in this case, he hasn't really done anything that I think justifies Icelandic outlawry. Right. And well, I, that's right. And as we as we kind of situate ourselves as these fake uh, mm-hmm. uh, Gothi, <laughs> <laughs> we we need to think about you know we 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 are Icelanders and we are trying to make Iceland mm-hmm. better. Uh, and Saki's never really offended anyone uh, right. in our territory. So, uh, so yeah, okay, we'll we'll let Saki go. Although, um, hopefully, we'll send someone out to kill him. There, fair enough. So, who have we got then? Uh, I guess Brand. Brand kills Galti. Avald- Brand of Alderson. Sure, sure, sure. You know, I guess that's one. He's standing mm-hmm. in at the actual all thing. 
I don't know if it's the all thing or a, right. or just no, a no, it's a thing. regional thing. So yep. so he's just standing there at, at outside of a booth at a regional thing, the the mm-hmm. the locus of law and order, and he swings his axe or whatever mm-hmm. and kills Galti. That's that's pretty bad. That's a punishable it's, it's really offense. bad, and I think it's particularly egregious because he is never punished. You're right. Um, that he he flees to his mother's uh, booth, mm-hmm. uh, hides figuratively and then literally behind her skirts. Yeah. Uh, by escaping the house in disguise, uh, and then when that blows up into a dual challenge between Halfred and Gris, um, everyone sort of forgets about Brand, and right. he's never really punished. Well, that, and, and then, as you pointed out. Um, later on, that's the killing is considered to be offsetting another killing. Right. Well, and right. and this so is no punishment. This scene is played out in Vatensdal's saga a little bit. We get a little bit more of uh, Thorkel Scratcher's perspective mm-hmm. on the whole thing. Although I don't mm-hmm. think it's Brand who kills Galti in Vatensdal's saga. It's someone named Hermod. Yeah, I have to look that up. Um, but I could I could be wrong about that. Anyway, uh, the the scene plays out almost exactly the same in terms of hiding behind mother's mm-hmm. skirts and things like that. Mm-hmm. And Thorkel Scratcher says, you know, let's not kill this guy. Let's try to right. resolve this peacefully. Um, right. But again, that's not in our current saga. So that's not right. part of the part of the story um, that we're working with. I think Bran's a solid choice. Uh, I do want to point out that we've got a couple of other people. Um, well, before before uh, we dismiss Brand real quick. We I should dismiss him. Okay. Well, we should note that he he's quite justified in his aggression. Maybe not well, towards Galti, but we know that but, you know, he, he's but striking at a thing. He's striking Galti to get back at Halfred for all of the mm-hmm. things that Halfred has done against uh, Bran's family, the Avaldasons and 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 the uh, whatever the girl's name is, Colfina. <laughs> um, understood. Uh, but you know, to put that Gothi hat back on, uh, we can't have people just killing each other at the things. Not I mean, unless we ask I mean, someone the, to do it. The, no. Well, right. I mean, you, you uh, do have Snorri Gothi, right? Law and order. Snorri Gothi is the king of breaking up uh, <laughs> legal suits that he's going to lose with violence. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking so about. So it's not that unusual. Uh, that's, a, that's a slander, my friend. I'll see you in court. Um, <laughs> Bring your sword. I do want to point out um, that we've got uh, Bjorn, the evil redhead, and Onan, the murderous woodsman. In oh, this I completely forgot about right. them. We've got two guys who lurk in the woods and right. wait to kill... Uh, travelers. Uh, uh, that's absolutely right. And, and even one of them uh, comes back from the dead and continues to try absolutely. to do that. That and said, Onan though. Onan is he's, – he's part of that tradition of the walking dead that you also see with uh, – uh, in Glom, with, in uh, Greater Saga, um, that we have seen that we saw in Erbigi Saga on yeah. a number of occasions. Um, now, in those cases, once again, they're not in Iceland. Yeah, that's But in this case, they at, least, they at least attack an Icelander. They do, but I mean... So we've got a link. I think we have to be at least willing to consider that one because they do attack an Icelander. I, I love those options, but I think I, I would say no just on the same grounds that we said no for Salky. We can send someone out to kill those guys, um, <laughs> but they're not actually doing anything in Iceland. But I really want to outlaw the undead. <laughs> I feel like it's... <laughs> what's more What's more saga than... Outlawing the undead. Well, this isn't Airbagger um, Saga. And we did that, you know, we saw oh, that sadly. kind of thing happen in, in Airbagger mm-hmm. Saga. The, the undead have to be brought to trial. I don't think we can do that in this case. Is there anybody um, else in Iceland doing something that we can outlaw? Well, I mean, Halfred isn't a great guy. He's um, wonderful. What are you talking about? He's, he, he just he commits a number crime. of crimes in Iceland. He sleeps with somebody else's wife and he composes, composes slanderous oh, verses about so him. Terrible. He imputes slanderous verses to her. 
which he's actually composed. Um, Big deal. He's a uh, he does a number of it. He breaks uh, a duel. He's planning a duel, and then he breaks that off for peaceful uh, purposes. I don't I'm think just that's saying. a terrible thing. Hey, um, I think uh, Halfred uh, grows throughout the saga, and that's a that's a nice thing. <laughs> I, how dare you even suggest that we outlaw this? Spoken fellow. like a man who is desperately trying to keep him available as a thing man to choose. Uh, <laughs> There's slim pickings here. I know there are. That's <laughs> uh, no. I don't. I don't seriously think, in the face of Bran's sort of audacious yeah. assassination at a thing, that Halfred's behavior is going to win out. No. But I do just want to point out that Halfred. In another saga where there wasn't uh, an assassin to cover for him, uh, might very well find himself on the chopping block. Why don't we? Why don't we settle with this? If unless you have someone that's actually in Iceland doing something terrible, why don't we offer Brand a minor outlawry rather than full outlawry? This acknowledges the fact that he was justified. His family had been offended, ah. so on and so forth. Uh, not a full outlawry. He's mm-hmm. going to be welcome back in a few years, but he needs sure. to go and think about his actions. Right. Maybe while he's abroad for three years, he can find some man pants to wear when he comes back. <laughs> what does that mean? Was he not wearing man? Oh, because he dressed as a woman. No, he, because he he dressed in women's clothing when he escaped from the uh, yes, uh, thing. Yes, he did. He did. But again, um, Thorkel kind of suggested that. So, right, absolutely. Uh, all right. So minor outlawry for Brand of Alderson. Yes. Uh, and now let's go ahead to the Thing Man section so that Andy can go ahead and choose Halford. Let's see about that. Thing Man. All right, Thing Man. So this is our opportunity to each choose a figure from the saga to join our growing team of all-stars. I went first last time Mm -hmm. um, and managed a bit of a coup. I don't know. By taking Scofty the Law Speaker. I don't know about that. uh, A a famous figure, an important figure, uh, and one that I'm proud to have on my team. So Uh, you're opening – wait a minute. You're opening this whole thing. It's my turn to choose first, and you're opening by talking about how awesome you are. And your group of men is R. Yes. Is R R. Yes. <laughs> I don't approve of that. Uh, you want me to start over? No, no, no. You you right. just wrap it up and let me do my thing. Okay. And I was going to say, but that means that this time I have to sit back and watch as Andy takes the only figure worth taking in this saga. Well, uh, so there are take it away. Worth, there are a couple worth considering here. Uh-huh. Um, although, like you said. The Go ahead, obvious drag it choice. Out. Oh, this is going to be dragged out a lot. Uh, we're going to need two parts for this. <laughs> um, the obvious choice and kind of the only real choice, if you think about it, is Halfred. Because everyone else is a, is a bit player. He's the only one that's on screen for yeah. more than five minutes ever. Yeah. And we can't take King Olaf, um, cause I would take him immediately. I would say, I, I'd honestly be hard pressed to, um, think of another saga that is so myopically focused on a single person. Yeah. You know, we really just follow him around. We do. And, and the scenes where he's not there, they, they, they're over so quickly that it's hard to justify mm-hmm. taking one of those individuals as a, as a player in mm-hmm. the saga. So let me give the argument for Halfred and, and then I'll jump into some other possibilities. Mm-hmm. He's the obvious choice. Right. He's a very famous poet. He's extremely clever, intelligent, and a quite capable warrior. Um, nobody, if I remember, plucks an eye out quite like Halford does. Um, and I think that's actually a skill that could come in handy with your Thingman. <laughs> uh, okay. I, I think he's also a, a fascinating character, and he's got some complex motivations. Um, mm-hmm. He's independent, but he's also fiercely loyal, and his bond with Olaf is the kind of thing that touches the softer side of Andy. So, you know, I like that stuff. 
Uh, the only real marks against him are that he seems mm-hmm. to spend a lot of time outside of Iceland, um, and he's also a poet. His nickname, Troublesome Poet, is a bit misleading, I think. So I don't want to get too carried away about his his nickname. He's no Gunlog Serpent Tongue who really earned right. his nickname, you know? Right. Um, so aside from a few naughty poems about Greece, Halford's poetry tends to be standard skaldic verse. Mm-hmm. Um, he's only troubled in terms of his divided loyalties to the Norse and uh, the Christian god. You know? Right. I would say the most trouble, tr- troublesome thing about his poetry is that very often we don't get it. That's yeah, true. Um, we always have just right, a report we, we of it. We mentioned this last time that a couple of times we're just told, oh, yeah, it's a really good poem. Yeah. Take my word for it. Yeah. And anyway, his his divided loyalties to the Norse gods and Christ are appropriate given when this is said. And also mm-hmm. because he's a skald. And yep. the Norse gods and people's knowledge and understanding of the mythology associated with them, that's the bread and butter of a skald. Absolutely. You, you need to know all that stuff. Otherwise, he's going to go out of business. So mm-hmm. I understand kind of his, his divided loyalty. Um, so also, you're Halford. Also, unlike Gunlog, Halford is generally a nice guy, like a really nice guy. I think, think he'd so? make. I think so. I think he'd make a great thing, and I'd be happy to take advantage of his skill as a poet. I mean, just think of the verses he'd compose in my honor. Well, great. I think. I think absolutely at this point you should consider other people in the saga and leave him for me. <laughs> well, there, there <laughs> is. I, I have to admit, I've had a a moment where I, I seriously considered taking Greece. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is why, unlike Halfred, Greece is actually like a really, really nice guy. He's not one. He's composing, a decent human being. He's not composing poetry about mm-hmm. anybody. He's uh, he does his job. He's apparently a good thingman in Iceland. Does does what he's supposed to. Um, he also, what I like about him is he sympathizes with Halfred after the death of King Olaf, and he talks mm-hmm. about how when he was um, in Byzantium and the Lord uh, that he served passed away. Mm-hmm. How lost he was and how depressed right. he was and all that kind of stuff. That that touches you deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, Greece, that also means that Greece was a member of the Varangian Guard. And I think Absolutely. you know that I have a very soft spot in my heart for the members well, of the Varangian Guard. Yeah. I They're mean, so he's been an elite warrior in a foreign land. I mean, that's, exactly. uh, that's not to be dismissed lightly. Not at all. Uh, it's a big point in his favor in my book. Um, but ultimately, I have to wonder who he is, you know? What does he do in Iceland? What does he do after he comes home? He's Greece. <laughs> Greece is the word. <laughs> but but really, he doesn't accomplish anything. He doesn't have a great family. He doesn't have a great reputation. He's just kind of a farmer. And I'll also point out he's a cuckold. How am I going to choose a guy like that? <laughs> so I, you can have him. You heard the part where he's a war hero, right? Yeah, yeah. He's a war hero. Big deal. Now, <laughs> wow. another person to consider would be Otto. No offense the, to the many veterans in our audience. We appreciate your service. Yes, we <laughs> So the the next person that I would consider was Otter. I thought about him for like a split second. That's the father of uh Oh of, yes. of Halford. Really? You gave him a thought. I said a split second and then I uh-huh. dismissed it. He just doesn't do anything. No. Cool. no. Um but then I have two other people to consider very seriously. And this is something we two need others. to talk to talk about. Yeah. Right. The first is Ingolf. Do you remember who Ingolf mm-hmm. is there, Johnny? Yes, go on. <laughs> he is a I think you already know what my objection's going to be. Well, well let's just play this out a little bit. Uh-huh. He's uh for those that don't remember, he's a ladies' man, and uh, there's nothing wrong with being a ladies' man. Halford's a ladies' man too. Uh, there's a lot of lovers in this saga, so um, <laughs> basically he's in the saga because he likes to get with a lot of the women of Vattensdal, and especially Otter's daughter Valgard, That would be Halford's sister. Um, that leads to a lot of trouble. So that's a knock against him, I guess. Uh-huh. But at the same time, he is the son of Thorstein, who's the son of Ingemund of Vattensdal uh-huh. saga. 
and that is an excellent pedigree. He's also it's true. He's a great chieftain. He's very, very well respected in the district. I guess presumably after he settles down with his wife and has a couple of children, mm-hmm. you know. Um, can so I just, can I just step in here um, to point out that Ingolf actually has a an entire verse composed about his prowess with the ladies. Yes, he does. Uh, you go ahead. All us. the girls longed to go with Ingolf, the ones who were fully grown. <laughs> Poor me, said the last too little. I, too, declared the crone, shall go with Ingolf as long as two teeth stick in my upper gum. <laughs> so, <laughs> and it 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 is said that when he dies, he asks to be buried not with his family, but near the roadside where the women can look on his grave and talk about what a wonderful fellow he was, and where he can presumably look up their skirts as they pass. <laughs> oh, that's dude. He he's also uh, Ingolf. <laughs> it is seems also, like his character. He's no slouch with a sword. Vatnsdala Saga tells us how he almost single handedly took down a band of eighteen thieves. He's mm-hmm. quite a guy. Quite a guy. He absolutely is. And uh, and when we get to Vatnsdala Saga, I look forward uh, to yes. having a crack at him. Well, here here's my here's my argument against that though. When we get to Vatnsdala Saga, neither of us is going to choose Ingol. There's just no hey. way. You're going to let a good guy like that just go off into the ether. What else can you do in favor of Halford and Greece? What what else can you do? I mean, this is the nature of the game we're playing. Well, Olaf let's... Peacock is. Uh, w- awaiting us in Lockstall Saga, but you know we're not going to pick him there. Uh, I don't know. We'll uh, see. And so he'll go unchosen unless you uh, decide to take a flyer. But well, let me, no, let me... I think when we get to Vatnsdal Saga, there'll be lots of good choices. But until we get there, uh, we can't be taking people just because they show up briefly in another saga. Said the guy who chose Scotty Lawspeaker, who, yes, who has on a two significant to three pages in Gunlog Saga. Significant. All right, then let me talk about significant characters who show up for three pages and settle a lawsuit and have a yes. role in the saga. Yes. Uh, though that said, Ingolf also does. He plays a role. <laughs> He's the reason that Otter and his family have to move. Oh, dear, dear. Thorkel Scratcher. Let's talk about Thorkel Scratcher. Uh-huh. Another great character from Vatnsdal Saga. Uh-huh. Now, after his tragic entry into the world, he makes a great name for himself. And like many young men, he travels and raids and... He joins mm-hmm. the retinue of Earl Sigurd of Orkney Isles and earns fame. All not in this saga, of course, which is kind of the problem. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you just listed all the reasons why we should wait until Vatnsdala <laughs> Saga to choose him. Uh, he does return to Iceland and he improves his reputation and he is eventually given the Goldorth of, of Vatnsdal. Mm-hmm. That's impressive. Also, also not in this saga. He, well, we're just thinking about who this guy is. Mm-hmm. He turns out to be a great and compassionate leader and he... He's going to make a very, very worthy thingman for me if... if you, when you choose him in Vatnsdala Saga. Eh, well, hold on. Let's see if this works out. Now, what do you think? All right. In the interest of sparing our audience... Sure. Uh, How I'm going to say it's time for a decision to be made. Uh, right. Given that the eponymous figure of this saga is just sitting there already putting on his jersey with your team name on it, <laughs> uh, I think... Dragging this out with your spurious arguments. Can is... I can I just make one more uh, yes. uh plea? Yes. <laughs> if you let me take Thorkel Scratcher, you're just torturing me, aren't you? You can have Ingolf. What do you say? <laughs> That's a pretty good deal. I won't dirty my hands with your deal. <laughs> this is a. I fine won't take deal. your blood money. <laughs> you. We both know that those two individuals are far better than Halfred or whoever you you're going to pick. Absolutely right. I agree. So what do you uh, say we go behind, we no, go behind the shed and we make oh, a deal here? Oh, this is terrible. Here? This is terrible. 
Um, you're you are the devil. You are tempting me into sin. I will Thorkel um, scratch your back, and, <laughs> <laughs> and you Thorkel scratch my back. Uh, no, no. Uh, I think it's important that the that our thing men represent their sagas as closely as possible. Oh, this and that, is tr- that can't happen if we start this pattern of choosing. Little men from the sagas. Said the guy who and chose I, I Understand, I realize that by making this argument, I'm only screwing myself because you're going to take Halfred yes. and I'm going to be left with absolutely nothing. <laughs> well, you got a Varangian guard member, so, you know, he's a, he's a good farmer. All right. Well, I will, don't pick my man for me. I will choose Halfred, troublesome poet, of course because you you're will. a grumpy old man who doesn't <laughs> like to make a deal. All right. I knew you were going to pick Halfred. I knew that ten minutes ago. Uh, but I appreciate your thoroughness. You should know that after reading the uh, saga, because he's the only one that is actually in now, it. Now, it occurs to me that the the coup here, the, the, the bit of genius I could pull here would be to choose a man who, though perhaps not a major, major figure in the saga, is undeniably a, uh, an important figure, plays an important role, is the inheritor... Of Halford's no. Filia, uh, as well as his name, You're just trying to his weapon, everyone. his land. I think that I might be tempted to choose Halford the Troublesome Poet, <laughs> Halfraderson. <laughs> <laughs> so you're going to choose the son of my thingman who... Uh, no, no, the perhaps the inheritor, perhaps even the, um, the avatar of your thing, <laughs> right. your thing man. Uh, and in the future... I'm willing to bet that five sagas from now, you wouldn't even be able to remember which one of us chose which one. <laughs> it's going to be very, very confusing in our in our groups if we have someone named uh, Halfred Halfred. I think that would be a tremendous amount of fun, but I think by choosing Halfred Jr., I would essentially be handing you the victory on this saga, and I'm not quite ready to do that. I like So much as I would enjoy confusing the issue, uh, I think I am going to take Greece. Oh. I do like... Uh, that he's a veteran of the Varangian Guard. I like that he is, in the end, the good guy in this saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, remember, he's the one who steps in and makes everyone else understand Halford's position in re- declining the duel when right. he has a prime opportunity to humiliate a man who has, as you said, cuckolded him, has composed scandalous verses about him. He proves himself to be the bigger man. Um, he also, and this is something that I actually really like about him, He's nearsighted. <laughs> and I, I like that little bit of character that we get about him that we just don't hear that kind of thing very often. That's um, true. And I, it gives me a different image of him. You know, he's an older man. He's, he's perhaps past his prime uh, as a man in my 40s again. <laughs> I find <laughs> this. <laughs> uh, I, I, I find it endearing that he's the sort of nearsighted old veteran who just wants to settle down with his new wife and have some kids. And has to deal with this obnoxious punk who keeps showing up and <laughs> trying to woo his wife. Well, I, I think I'm happy with the way this is resolved. I mean, I might not I, have gotten I, Ingolf or Thorkel like I wanted, but I got a great poet and a great warrior mm-hmm. and a great dude. Mm-hmm. And you got a nearsighted cuckold. So this has worked out beautifully. <laughs> I've got a war veteran, sir. A and, war veteran. And as a, uh, who proves himself to be the bigger man. As Halford says, no one wields a scythe like your farmer man. That's right. <laughs> or tends his sheep quite as, as lovingly. Well, I'm going to beat my sword into a plowshare and turn the other cheek. Uh, 
final rating. And it is time for our final ratings. We are going to summarize our feelings about these sagas of ours. <laughs> um, Halford Saga, a wonderful little treat. John, why don't you tell us what you think about it? I, I gotta say, I think this saga suffers in some ways from being in among the other poets' sagas. Mm. As I was reading it, I kept getting frustrated with it and realizing that part of why I was frustrated was because of my expectations about poet sagas. Mm. As, as a narrative about the complexities of life in the conversion era, it's got a lot to offer. Absolutely. Uh, it, it suggests that an Icelander might feel more affinity for a Norwegian king whose patronage accompanied a sympathetic religious faith than for a fellow Icelander who clings to the pagan ways. But it also investigates the conflicts individuals must have felt as they embrace a new faith that was undeniably part of Norway's foreign policy under Olaf Tryggvason. That's what I was right? going to so say. Very well Christianity put. Christianity can't, well, absolutely. I'm a very insightful man. <laughs> uh, you can't, you can't fully divorce the convert, the conversion from Iceland's relationship with Norway. And that's a difficult thing, I think, for Icelanders of that time. Uh, Holford's vacillating poetry, where he's praising first Christ and then the Asir, it's probably a high mark of the saga from its, from an artistic perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially when that gives way at the end for the heartfelt droppa in praise of King Olaf, Holford's lost friend and spiritual mentor. Right. Um, and of course, even though we don't get that droppa, the implication is that it praises him in part for being a good Christian man. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, all that said, I find a lot of the same problems in Halford's saga that I saw in Gunlog's saga. That's interesting. Uh, there's a very tight focus on Halford himself, uh, to the detriment of the epic scope that I really love in some of the more wide-open sagas. That's true, but... We, we rarely leave the point of view from over Halford's shoulder as he sort of lives his life. That's definitely true, John. Um, but but mm-hmm. wouldn't you say Halford is much more, um, not just episodic, but more chaotic in terms of its its treatment of the individual and his life? Absolutely, but I think Halford's a more chaotic individual. Which is, right? so I think it's, but, I think but it's, the saga it's comes together a lot better than than, mm-hmm. than maybe Gunlog does. Uh, yeah, and I would agree with that. Uh, I wouldn't really mind so much if I thought that Halford were a more compelling character. Really, uh, it's that chaos that gives me part of the trouble. He's ultimately a guy who chooses not to get married to his love because he just doesn't want to. Maybe he just doesn't he's, love her that much. No, he's not. But then why does he keep returning to her? He d- he's not under a compulsion not to marry her. There's no prior commitment. No witch has cursed him. He doesn't even have Gunlog's personality defect of being permanently late for everything to excuse him. <laughs> he he just doesn't want to get married. And then why, he does get married. Why are you blaming him of that, though? He gets married but the point is, after but many, he, many, many more years. But then he does get married. After many, many right? more he years. He gets married to the widow of a passing acquaintance with no explanation, and then spends most of his life trying to perfect his friendship with a Norwegian king, and occasionally dropping by to mess with his ex-love. Well, I don't know. I think maybe it's, there's a sense of... There's this, no consistency to his behavior. There might be a sense of responsibility, but, 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 though. But you'll have your chance. Well, I'm not going to talk about that part in my chance. I'm going to talk about it right now. <laughs> he marries Oudgiesel's widow... In part, uh-huh. not just because he loves her, which he does develop a, a deep love for her, because but he took on she saves his bacon. No, he took Onand on against Oudgiesel's advice. Oudgiesel said, "Don't bring this guy with us," mm-hmm. and Halford said, "Yes, we must bring this guy." As a result, Oudgiesel gets killed. This poor woman is mm-hmm. left with no one to take care of her. Who steps in to fill the void? But the handsome and noble Halford. That is just that is a am I stretching blatant rewriting of the story? Well, yes. I don't know. I mean, a lot, a lot goes unsaid in these uh, sagas. I just try to read between the uh, lines. Well, so I think ultimately uh, I have to look at this separately as a poet saga and as a saga, okay, just a regular saga. 
as a poet saga, it's doing some really interesting things with the motif. And I think we said at one point, it's almost a commentary on the genre. As a regular saga, it's seriously enigmatic with little or no insight into why its central figure does the things he does hmm. or how we're meant to interpret his relationships. I feel like I disagree with you. I am aware you do. Okay. Uh, but my rating, which is the only one that I'm concerned oh. with, uh, is that I give it a 7.5 really? as a poet saga. Uh, as a poet saga. <laughs> okay. But I'm going to give it a four and a half what? as a regular okay, saga. Okay, wait. So what is your... So I'm compromising with myself. <laughs> I'm giving it a six overall. Oh, that's okay. I'll take that. But <laughs> You'll take that? That all worked out. Yes, you will. You'll take it and smile. Now, what do you have to say? <laughs> I'm a little surprised at all that. Um, well, you know, I got to say, when I first read the saga, right after uh, the kind of disappointing Gunlog saga, which neither of us liked a whole a whole lot, mm-hmm. I was really impressed with, with Halfred and the saga as, as a whole. Um, I enjoyed Halfred's adventures. I thought uh, it was cool when he was amorous. It was funny and interesting. Uh, I liked when he was violent, plucking out eyeballs. And I also mm-hmm. enjoyed the spiritual journey that he goes on throughout the whole saga. Um, I feel like he develops into a fully rounded individual. And this is a pretty well-told story when you really start thinking about how all the different pieces come together. I'm not sure I see well-rounded so much as just someone who follows his id. He's got sort of ADD all the way through the saga. What do you mean by that? I can see Gunlog having ADD because he's constantly getting distracted and wandering around, but not Well, not okay, Halfred. yes, no, that's fair. That's fair. I know that's fair. Uh, but no, Halford, is he is he loyal to Olaf or isn't he? I mean, this forgetting about him and settling down with a pagan woman and raising a family thing. Okay, but now are we judging... Until he gets he gets guilty dreams. I, I well, mean, I, I, that's fine. Doing? You can judge Halford as an individual, but I think what I'm thinking about is is how the the saga author casts him and creates that internal conflict for for this character mm-hmm. that to me feels like a much more fully rounded more complex character than mm-hmm. we see in other sagas i mean typically if you were introduced to a character we're told exactly what kind of person he is and he is that person from beginning to end there's no development no they tend to be very static in that regard halford mm-hmm. is not that halford develops and evolves over the course of the saga mm-hmm. so that said when we did our summary mm-hmm. recording, it had been a while since I'd read the saga. I, I lost some of that that feeling that I had, <laughs> so I felt a little bit more like you did. I, you know, maybe uh-huh. I felt like suddenly the the saga was more disjointed, maybe a little bit more clumsy, uh, just as we were trying to make sense of it for for that recording. Mm-hmm. Um, but rather than rate it poorly on that feeling, I, I went ahead and reread the saga before today's episode. So I just mm-hmm. read it last night at my daughter's soccer practice. It was quite fun. Um, and I have to say that, you know, I, I like it again. I like the saga. I like Halfred. Um, it may have some, some flaws, but it's generally very well written. The author introduces a lot of different threads here that, that may end up feeling somewhat random at times, but I, I believe that they come together at one point or another. It's, the structure mm-hmm. is somewhat complex. Um, and more than anything, I think I appreciate what the saga author is trying to do, or at least what I think he's trying to do. And I'm giving him a lot more credit than I gave the, the Gunlog Saga author, which... Uh, yeah, no, we both agree that, that that author simply lost control of his material at various points. Yeah, we, we did talk about the possibility that it was satire. Mm-hmm. I gave him an extra 0. 0.5 on his final score mm-hmm. in the hopes that he was being clever. Um, but I don't know if I really <laughs> believe that he was. Uh-huh. Um, thus, the only 0. 0.5. Um, through Halfred, though, we are treated to the story of Scandinavian conversion. 
Uh, it's very much like what, like what you were saying. I mean, King Olaf mm-hmm. Tryggvason and his court poets, they played a significant role in the conversion of, of Scandinavia. But rather than offer us a strict history lesson, this saga author gives us a more nuanced story, one that I think captures the emotional and spiritual difficulties men who were suddenly asked to change fates might have experienced. That's what you were talking about. I absolutely agree with you on that. Mm-hmm. This is, for me, a very human story, and I think I think it is engaging on a number of different levels. And if you're a teacher mm-hmm. of the sagas or if you ever think about teaching the sagas, I think this is a good one, in part because it's short. But also because it accomplishes a lot in terms mm-hmm. of covering different aspects you might want to teach, including genre stuff, poetic stuff, historical stuff, uh, depth of character is also there. It allows you to explain. Well, and it, it does provide a, a, an unusual perspective on the conversion. Yeah. Not, not the normal thing that we see where it's always about the conversion happening mm-hmm. sort of broadly and isolated. Well, and it'd be nice to do some of the more political discussions of the, so you can look at the conversion through Neal Saga, for example, where it's mm-hmm. definitely more political. And then you look at this one, which is more personal, very, very personal in terms of, right. of, uh, the, the transition that Halford makes. So this, this saga allows you to explore medieval Scandinavian society from a variety of angles. It covers the warrior culture style of rule in Hawkins court, all the way to the Christianized kingdom of Olaf Tryggvason and his really dominant influence on the northern world. So there's a lot more to it than that, but I'll stop babbling. I'll get to my rating. I wanted to give it a five after we recorded the summary, to be honest, but mm-hmm. this is no five. I'm going to give it a solid six, which is... Wait, so after yeah. all that, after you chastise me for everything I say, you give it the exact same number? I well, did. that's what I was surprised. I, I liked I liked your number. <laughs> I think it's a fair number. It's not. It, it's admittedly not the best saga out there. It doesn't have some of the things that we enjoy the most about sagas. The witticisms mm-hmm. aren't as clever. Um, the bloodshed's not as bloody. Uh, and it doesn't have that epic scope that we're looking for. But we're also reading poet mm-hmm. sagas. We don't expect the mm-hmm. epic scope. It's a, uh, it's biographical primarily, and it, this one accomplishes a lot in the space that it's given itself. So, mm-hmm. a six may not be a great score, but it's a definite nod to the author, um, a little wink saying, good job, fella. <laughs> uh, and I think we both agree, definitely, if you are sort of at knife point and forced to choose between Gunlog and Halfred, go ahead and read Halfred's song. Absolutely. Which I think is unusual, because uh, most people tend to choose Gunlog for its romantic angle, but the romance really true. doesn't offer that much to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, all right. So a six from me, a six from you. The first time we've agreed, by the way. Yeah, it is. Uh, on a, uh, on a, on a saga. Um, despite the fact that you made it sound as if you were going to be roundly chastising my score with a much higher. Well, you know, one. I think, I feel like seven uh, is saying a whole lot more. You know, if you get a seven, you're starting well, to inch towards so. ten, and mm-hmm. that means you're really, really, greatness. really good. This isn't a really, um, really, really good saga. It's just good. Go. But it's the it's the best of the mediocre. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I guess if you want it, that's a, a, a very negative way of saying it. I think it's a good uh, saga. All right. So uh, that's 12 from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, feel free to read the saga yourself. Let us know what you think. Absolutely. We'll be back soon with our next episode. But uh, in the meantime, feel free to look for uh, other episodes of our podcast on our WordPress site, on our Facebook and Twitter accounts for updates for the sagas, and for iTunes, where you can download all the episodes and, of course, review us if you're so inclined, and we appreciate that. We would definitely appreciate more reviews and more ratings. Um, it helps us to promote the saga, and it gives us stuff to put in our uh, academic portfolios. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so until next time, uh, thanks very much, and bye for now. See you later.
I'm going to make this something special. <laughs>